Sure, lots happened already. So tonight we have Mike Davies, yeah? And yeah, it is. Woohoo! I mean, we're getting spoiled, right? Two weeks ago we had him at the camp. And he's like, no, I have a lot more, a lot more to tell you guys. So, uh, so Mike, will you please, yeah, come up. This guy, like, I mean, do you, do you realize, like, Mike was one of Andrew's first elders. And Josh Jen was, what, 50, 60 people or less about there? No? Yeah. In, yeah, and then eventually this building, about 90 to 100 people when this started. That's when I got involved. And Mike has just been, well, personally, amazing mentor. And uh, I love his arguments. And I love, I love how, he, how he balances what the Spirit is doing with theology. And I practically applies that. And yeah, I want to honor you. Thank you for, for like, in the background, Mike gives a lot of advice, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'd like to pray for you. Lord, thank you for this man and what you, how you're using him, Lord. Yeah, we thank you for your mercy, just your mercy and your grace upon all of us, Lord. I pray that tonight he will say what you want him to say, Lord, because you are taking this church, this congregation, you're taking places, Lord. We want it to be the place you want it. So thank you that you're using Mike in that. And I pray that this will be a fun time in Jesus' name. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, everyone. It's awesome to be here. And I don't know how I missed it, uh, but I missed the fact that you changed from five to four. Tells you how long ago it is since I've been here. So uh, I was busy. Uh, actually, Elizabeth was driving. Elizabeth's with me, my eldest daughter. She was driving. And we said, oh, let's go and get a drink. Let's go to McDonald's for a drink. And, and suddenly, Clarence, I see Clarence is phoning me, and suddenly I get this horrible feeling. <laughs> anyway, so. But I wasn't late. I arrived precisely when I intended to arrive. <laughs> yeah, it's good for Jacques occasionally just to keep him on his toes. But I was here for, for enough of a wonderful worship session. I actually thought at one point, I thought that uh, I was seeing something of the glory of God, just this bright light that I couldn't stare into. Then I realized it was Bobby's shoes. <laughs> but you guys did awesome. It's such a wonderful privilege to be able to, to worship together. I want to ask you a question. Why do you come to church? And some people say, no, we don't come to church, we are the church. But both statements are true. We are the church, but we come to gather together, right, as the church. So why do we do that? Why are you here tonight? Anybody brave enough to give me an answer? Yes. Why are you here? Because the Bible says don't forsake the um, gathering of the saints. Okay. You're here because the Bible tells us to? That's a good answer, right? Any other answers, Lee? To glorify the Lord. To glorify the Lord, that's a wonderful answer. Clarence, always trust you to come out with a gem. To fellowship with the saints. Fellowship of the saints. Anybody else? 
when two and more gather in my name, I am there. Wonderful. So when we get together, do, does that mean Jesus isn't there when I'm on my own? No, it's just when we're together, there's a different sense of his presence. Anything else? Any, any other answers? Mr. Dodd. Wayne Dodd, Wayne Dodd, he's the famous man of God. Wayne Dodd. <laughs> to worship him with. Those all great answers. And if I was to ask a hundred people, I would give, uh, I would probably get a hundred answers. But there's one reason to gather together that I think is important that nobody's mentioned yet. And one of the reasons we gather together is so that we can each contribute something of the power and the presence of God in our corporate setting. The reason I come and join with you is, and this may sound arrogant, is because I can bring something you can't. But everybody here should be able to say that. Every single person should be able to say, the spirit of the Lord is within me and God has anointed me. So one of the reasons we come together is to allow the Lord to use us as a conduit of his presence and his power. That doesn't sound very exciting to you. It's like, hmm. But the reality is, I think for many of us, we've fallen into faithfulness instead of faith. We're coming to church because it's the right thing to do. We're coming to church because there's a measure of enjoyment in it. We're coming to church because our friends are here. We're coming to church because there's a measure of devotion. And over the last few weeks, we've talking, been talking about um, devotion. But are you coming to church filled with faith? Is there a hope that God will move or an expectancy? How many of you came here tonight expecting something of the power of God to manifest? Not theologically, like really. Some of you, wonderful. What's scary is that was a small minority. And I don't want to fall into the trap of saying, you know, uh, faith, is, faith is something that binds God and God has to respond to our faith. You know, there was a whole teaching around that which was unhelpful. But faith is something that God responds to. I was, I was actually preaching here some time ago. Must have been a couple of years ago. And somebody from Meltbos was visiting and heard me preach. And, and God moved powerfully that night. And they said to me afterwards, why don't you preach like that in Meltbos? I said, I do. Why was there a different result? Because of the way I was received. Because of the expectancy and the faith of the people. That's what makes the difference. And to be honest, a preacher can get up and butcher the preach. I want to let you into a secret. And Emma's here, so this will get back to Andrew. 
But the very first time I visited Josh Jen with my wife, the church had been going a matter of weeks. We were meeting at the Blowberg Lifesaving Club. We walked up the stairs into that little room. And, uh, man, it didn't look like a bunch of Christians at all. Some guy with dreads on a djembe. I think he was high. <laughs> Probably was. And the worship wasn't, can I just, it, it, it wasn't professional. And then Andrew got up to preach. And I, I was a little bit more arrogant back then than I am now. Some of you are thinking, how is that possible? But I, I, I was fairly fresh out of Bible college, and at Bible college, believe it or not, I'd won awards for public ministry. I'd, I'd won awards for preaching in the college. I'd won scholarships for it. And uh, so I'm listening to Andrew preach, and he does everything wrong. <laughs> he gets his Bible stories mixed up. You know, in the early days, he'd be in the middle of, this, of a preach, and then he'd say, Mike, where's that scripture about that woman who does that thing? Can you be a bit more specific? Uh, so he was getting his Bible stories mixed up. He was busy scratching his back under his shirt while he was preaching. Like everything they tell you not to do, he was doing. Am, am I exaggerating? You were there. It wasn't, it wasn't like there's this powerful preacher who wowed me. I'm like, but he finished preaching. And he threw out an invitation to respond to Jesus. And I think three people responded and got saved. And I went, this is odd. <laughs> I preach way better than this guy, but nobody gets saved when I preach. He's got something I need. And so there is this thing, there is an anointing that flows, but also it's the way people are received. Even Jesus, it was said, in his home village, couldn't do many miracles because of a lack of faith. And this isn't a preach, I'm not trying to rebuke or, or, or correct you for lack of faith. I'm trying to encourage you that I believe God is transitioning us as a people. He's transitioning you as a congregation from a place of faithfulness to a place of faith. And I want to commend many of you for your faithfulness. Really. That you've continued to be obedient to the Lord. You've continued to give yourselves. You've continued to be committed. You've continued to devote yourselves. Even at times where you felt that devotion hasn't always been reciprocated. But it's time to realize that God has added you to us for a reason, for a purpose. And it's not just because you need us and you do. It's because we need you. God gave gifts to everyone as he saw fit. And we can compare and say he's got more gifts than my... It, it's not how big your gift is. It's how faithful you are with it. It's how much you will put yourself out there. And the parable of the talents, if you read between the lines, 
When Jesus the master comes back and the one servant says, here's the five, there's, there's, you gave me five, there's ten, you gave me three, there's six. Then there were, I had one and, and there's one back, I at least kept it safe. And the master is angry because all he did was protect what little he had. And I believe with all my heart, if that one servant had said, you know, I invested that one and I lost it all, the master would have said, well, at least, at least you were investing, at least you were trying, at least you were doing something. I'm convinced the Lord would rather us try and fail than do nothing. I think we've got to be comfortable with failure, not with sin. Don't get comfortable with sin, but let's get comfortable with failure. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I can preach and I can give you, I could preach for a couple of hours on the times God has used me supernaturally to see healing, deliverance. I could tell you incredible stories. And when preachers come, that's generally what they do, right? What they don't tell you is all the failures. And whilst I could preach for a couple of hours on how God has used me powerfully, I could preach for days on how many times I've failed. I can tell you stories of when I prayed for sick people and they ended up in hospital. Or a good friend of mine who got sick, we thought he had flu, I prayed for him. Three days later he was dead. I'm like, at one point I'm like, God, I'm not going to pray for sick people anymore. Because when I pray for sick people, they get worse. I was like, you think it's got anything to do with you? That was a really good lesson because when they get healed, do you think that's got anything to do with you? No, it's got everything to do with him. But he wants to use me as a conduit. He wants to use you as a conduit. He wants to use you as a channel for his presence and his power. And as a correction to a lot of the garbage that is preached out there, I think we want to be cautious about talking about power. We, we don't want to go into extreme stupid doctrines. But guess what? God's power is extreme. And tonight I don't want to even bring any balance. Because I've realized this. The beauty of God's truth isn't usually a compromise between two sides. It's a radical middle between two extremes where you hold both extremes. For example, is God absolutely sovereign? Yeah, absolutely sovereign. And I will preach that and I will state my life on the sovereignty of God. Do you have a responsibility? Have you been given choice? Yeah. Do those seem to contradict? There seems to be a paradox. But both are true. And if I try and compromise and say, God's got a little bit of sovereignty and man's got a little bit of power, that, that's not truth. The truth isn't a compromise between those two things. It's holding two extremes in tension and saying, I believe them both. And so when I preach about healing, does... Do people die? Do people get sick? Yes. Do we pray for people and they don't get healed? Yes, but guess what? God wants us to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. When John the Baptist was having his doubts when he was in prison, 
And he sent his messengers and he, he said to, to speak to Jesus and said, are you truly the Messiah? Do you remember the answer that, that Jesus sent back? He said, tell, the, tell him what you see. The lame walk, the blind see. These are the manifestations of the coming of the kingdom. And yes, we can argue the kingdom hasn't come yet because only, and again, this is one of these tensions that we've got to hold. The kingdom hasn't come in all its fullness, but the kingdom has come because Jesus came, he died, he rose again. And he said to his disciples and through them to us, wait for the gift that my father has promised and his power will come upon you. He said in John 16, greater things will you do than I have done. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to be more fruitful or do more than Jesus necessarily. But together as a church, we should be seeing a demonstration of the power of God. We should be. It should be an expectation. It should be the norm. It's interesting that one group of people in the end times that Paul warns us about in 2 Timothy 3 5. He's given a list of people who, who will write the, the, the evil of the end times. In the last days, there will be difficult times and people will be like this. And then he says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. And we can argue what power is, but do we have an understanding that the power of God is not an optional extra? And you could say, well, would you rather have the presence or the power? I'd rather have his presence. But I think the inevitability of his presence is his power. I don't want just the things of God. I want God. But God is powerful. And he wants to work in us and he wants to work through us. So you can say, why am I at church to glorify God? Well, how do I do that? Well, I can glorify God by saying hello to a stranger. I can glorify God by worshipping. I can glorify God with my finances. And I can glorify God by stepping out, taking a risk, doing something outrageous and seeing his power displayed. In John's gospel, John never uses the word miracle. Do you know that? For all the supernatural things that Jesus does, John never uses the word miracle. He uses the word signs. Because every supernatural occurrence of Jesus is evidence that he is the Messiah. It was, it was to bring people into belief. And it is true that some people will witness and even experience signs and wonders. And still not believe that is true. But for those who don't believe but are seeking, what differentiates what we believe to every other religion? And you can give me theological differences. But if those theological differences are true, then surely the outworking and the manifestation of what we say must be different as well. 
Paul said in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. And there he's talking about the power of of taking dead people and making them spiritually alive. But we've got to understand there is power in the one that we serve. And the crazy and slightly disturbing thing is, he looks at us, look around you. How many of you would trust this group with God's power? Really? It's terrifying, right? But that's what he's chosen to do. He's chosen to make his wisdom known through the church. He's, he's chosen for us to be a conduit for his power. What does that mean? It means, and I, I've come to this conclusion a long, long ago, I found myself as an elder becoming a professional counsellor. Kind of a pseudo-psychologist. People coming for therapy. And yes, counsel and words and a listening ear and empathy are important. Loving people is important. But I don't have the answers. And if you've got an addiction, maybe I can give you some some counsel on how to live wisely to help overcome your addiction. But there's one person who has the power to to destroy your addiction. You may be sick and tired and I can counsel you how to get through life with with your illness and and with with your weakness. Do we trust God for his power? One thing that disturbs me a little is that we don't see demons manifest very often in our meetings at the moment. And that disturbs me because I know they're here. And if they're not manifesting, it means they're comfortable. The demons should be trembling when you guys get together. Because there's the power to discern and the authority to dismiss the demonic. I love the fact that we've been doing a lot of training on the prophetic recently. And if you haven't listened to some of the videos, listen to them because Paul said, I desire that you all prophesy. But as much as we can train you in the principles and and how to rightfully handle the gift, I cannot teach you how to prophesy. It's a supernatural gift. I can't teach you to prophesy genuinely any more than I can teach you to supernaturally heal somebody. I can teach you some of the principles of how to pray wisely. But I can't say, here's how how to cure cancer. And I promise you, this isn't theory. I've personally seen people and laid hands on people and seen people delivered of cancer and TB and AIDS. I've seen people miraculously give birth when the doctors said they couldn't. I've seen the power of God displayed. And and, and I'm not chasing his power. 
But I am asking God, you promised that these signs would follow those who preach your gospel. So I'm not deifying, I'm not glorifying the power. power. The gift of God is not what I worship. But the one I worship is one who has power. And we can be in danger as followers of Jesus of developing a mere theology of the supernatural and not a practice. Oh yeah, I believe that. Absolutely we believe in healing. So here's a challenge. If I ask who's got a, who's got a testimony of God using them supernaturally, how many of you could say, I've got a testimony that took place in the last month? Anybody? Come share it. Ah, ah, you didn't expect that, did you? Come share it. How's it, guys? Thanks, Mike. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you guys know my mother passed away last week of cancer. Um, it was like a three-month drawn-out thing. Um, I think the biggest thing on Shannon and I's mind the whole time was, um, where is she with the Lord, you know? That was like the main thing. We don't, like, we don't care about health first, first and foremost. We care about uh, where she is with the Lord. And she, she's always rejected God with her mind, um, had a very strong will on, on what she believes. It's super difficult to just even mention anything. We tried, we prayed years and years. She has two children that are sold out for Jesus. So it's like, we're just like crying out to the Lord. And, you know, with her getting more sick and more sick and even... You know, being in hospital and like having, um, what's it called, um, uh, where you like lose your mind a bit, um, but like, some, there's another word, but anyway, yeah, she, she, even like losing your mind, you ask, God, um, what happens then when you lose your mind and you can't respond to the gospel, you can't, you know, um, kind of, you, you, you can't respond, you can't call out to God then, because you just seeing all kinds of things. So we were like, I mean, I, th- I don't know. I think I was at an all-time faith level of lows because um, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And um, I kind of, I didn't want to think of the alternative, mom going to hell, you know? Nobody wants to think that. And I also didn't want to be like super hopeful and overly hopeful where it's like false hope where you just, you know, Oh yeah, she's with she's in peace. She's with the Lord now because it doesn't work like that either, you know. Um, but I must say, when when Jock and I sort of honour you and Luke for stepping out and coming over and praying for my mom, I was at an all-time low in my faith, <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. And I just sat there by the bed, you know, and they prayed, and the words you guys. I didn't, proce- I didn't get to process it, you know. But the words you guys are saying, it was like so prophetic for her. And um, yeah, I think something happened there. Um, and I didn't share, I, tra- I kept something in my heart about when my father passed away um, in 2008. I didn't really share about it. I, I wasn't saved then, so I didn't think about spiritual things or anything. I, I didn't even know about spiritual things, but about an hour before he passed, I saw, almost like I saw him come to me, and just like, I kind of got the sense 
in a vision that like he's proud of me and he was saying goodbye. And then my mom called me like a, an hour later and said he passed. Um, and the night before she passed, actually the same thing happened. As I was praying and I was just asking God, like, and I saw her just walking in, in this dress that she would always wear. And then she just blew kiss, kisses with both her hands. And like the sense I got was just, she, and it's weird to say, but it's like she said, I feel fabulous. And then, and then um, I kept asking Clifford, her partner, like, where's, is Mama Kay, is Mama Kay, you know? And he didn't respond. And then, um, it's like about seven o'clock in the morning, um, I got the message, mom's passed. And there was so much relief because I'd seen her suffering the day before. And there's so much questions I have in my, I had in my head, this like theological bubble of like, she needs to respond, she needs to be baptized, all of those things. But like, I really feel like it was demolished, like that whole like idea. And because I, I realized by the words that you guys said over her, <laughs> like, you know, he keeps every tear in a bottle. You don't know how like accurate that is for her. She's someone who's very, hasn't had the best circumstances She's never really had a shoulder to cry on. She's never had that. She's had to do everything for herself, self-made, dutiful, diligent person. And even in the cancer, like, she didn't reveal any of that to her children. Or, and it's just a testimony of the love of God. And, yeah, I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah. yeah. So That's supernatural. So we can pray for the sick. We can't dictate to God what he does but if we genuinely believe that to live is Christ and to die is even better we can rejoice in a supernatural demonstration of, of God's power come share briefly with us my friend thank you we were on this camp the weekend thanks Jock and um, we were asked to, I was asked to pray for this lady, and she would rather give the, share her testimony. Um, <clears throat> the week before the camp, I was hit with a sudden um, urinary tract infection out of the blue, and just before that, I'd picked up a hematoma. So I was in a lot of pain, and I refused point blank to go near the hospital because they'd have to cut and drain. And with the UTIs, while well, I didn't want to go near the hospital, so I said to the Lord, um, on the, like, I was determined to go to the camp, and I said to the Lord, Father God, I'm sick and tired of the tablets. Um, I'm sick and tired of the pain. Because um, now I'm going to be in a place with all these girls, and they're going to see all this bandaging, and it's like, I said, Lord, you know I refuse to go to the doctors. You're my physician. Um, I've prayed for myself, it's not working, so I want somebody to pray for me. And um, Candace said to me, speak to Uncle Tommy and ask him to lay hands on you. So I did. But I said to him, Uncle Tommy, I want you to pray for me because I refuse to take another tablet again. And he prayed for me and I didn't take another tablet and the bandages are off. Awesome. Those are wonderful stories, and we should celebrate everything that God does. 
But the scary thing is, for a charismatic church, how many of you believe that you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Keep your hands up. How many of you believe that God wants to use you? How many of you believe in healing? How many of you have seen somebody healed that you've prayed for in the last month? Wonderful. Wonderful. How many of you have raised somebody from the dead? One person. Awesome. You know the reason most of you haven't? Because you haven't prayed for any dead people. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure whether I was allowed to mention Boaz. Can we mention? That is a medically verified miracle. My understanding, please correct me if I get it wrong. Afterwards, the guys went to the paramedics and said, thank you so much. And the paramedics said, no, 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 you don't understand. This was not us. This was God. That's awesome. And we need to celebrate it. And maybe it doesn't happen every week. Let's hope not. But we should be having stories of God's power on a regular basis, shouldn't we? If God is real and he's alive and he's working. And for some, you might see some things are small, but that are hugely significant. I'll tell you one of my, on my journey, I became part of a charismatic church when I was 11 years old. Pretty much grew up in a charismatic church. The whole thing of um, being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues was something that I accepted, and I never spoke in tongues. I came to South Africa in 1994. I went to Bible college, graduated top of my class. If anybody deserved it, I deserved it. Didn't speak in tongues. Ended up joining Josh Jen. Became an elder. Here's a secret. Still didn't speak in tongues. Oh, an elder in Josh Jen. Why? Part of it was me. Part, I don't. And here's the thing about these things. I don't always have a theology that can explain the what, but I do have a theology to explain who. And then one day, I think I was stood right here, arguing with God about something. And I think he thought the only way he was going to shut me up. I started speaking in tongues. And I was so shocked. I tapped Andrew on the shoulder in worship. I said, bro, I think I've just started speaking in tongues. Now, for most of you, speaking in tongues is like, blah. You've become so familiar with it that you've, you've lost an understanding of its power. But that moment, and Andrew just, because Andrew knew my journey. I'd confused his theology. And he got up, some of you were there, and he stopped the whole worship. And he said, guys, 
Mike's just started speaking in tongues and it was like somebody had been raised from the dead. The response of the congregation. Because it's a big deal. Do you understand what a big deal speaking in tongues is? What a huge privilege it is? What an incredibly powerful gift it is? Prophecy. Do not despise prophecy, Scripture tells us. And there's two ways we can despise prophecy. We can despise prophecy by saying, ah, we don't believe in it. That's not prophecy. Or we can despise it by treating it as an insignificant, disposable thing. If somebody prophesies over you or prophesies in a meeting, can anybody tell me what prophecy is? I'll... I'll ask Victor, because Victor's incredibly prophetic. What's prophecy, Victor? God speaking through a person. God speaking through a person. So if somebody prophesies in a meeting or prophesies over you, do you treat that like God is speaking to you? Or is that a disposal? Oh, another prophecy. That familiarity can breed contempt. And our familiarity, I want to be careful here. Because I believe intimacy with the Lord is an incredibly beautiful thing. And it's an incredibly safe place. And all of those things. But let's not allow that intimacy to become an over-familiarity that breeds contempt for the power of God. That this one, I love John, the, the apostle, who laid his head against Jesus' breast. He knew what it was to be intimate. He knew what the love of Jesus was. He knew what that safe place was. And yet in the book of Revelation, when he sees the glorified Christ, he falls on the floor as one dead because he saw the glorified Jesus. And this one with whom we're allowed to be intimate is the all-powerful maker of the universe who should at times still terrify us because of his great power. And that great power, he makes available to us. Tongues, prophecy, healing, deliverance, discernment, mercy. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Has anybody ever read that? That picture of the early church devoted themselves. But that wasn't a bunch of people trying to, trying the best to become these really nice Christian people. That was the fruit of a people who'd experienced the power of God in their midst. God wants to stir us up. I've been convicted of myself. So many people, I mean, flu's going around at the moment, right? And every other person you speak to is feeling sick and you say, shame, man, I hope you feel better soon. It doesn't even cross my mind. Can I pray for you? And sometimes we can grow disillusioned because people we know and we love our mothers, our friends, 
They get sick, we pray for them and they die. But the same power by which we trust God will heal people is the same power by which they will be raised. And we serve and we have the, it's the same faith. But we shouldn't become fatalistic. Oh, well, we're all going to die one day anyway. That is true. And it's good to understand that all men are like grass. But that's not so that we can become fatalistic and just say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. We serve a God who constantly invades our experience with eternity. He constantly wants to demonstrate his power through the miraculous. And he wants to demonstrate it to you. And he wants to demonstrate it through you. And I don't know which requires more faith. Because sometimes it's easy to pray for other people and expect God to do something for other people. Right? So many people have this, I mentioned this before, this strange theology that God can forgive anybody except what I've done. God can use anybody except little old me. How arrogant do you think you are that you're the only person on this planet beyond God's power? What makes you so special? You go, but I'm not like Andrew. Praise God you're not like Andrew. <laughs> yeah, there, can only, there is one Andrew is enough for the, for the world. But you know what? If every elder on his team was just like Andrew, this church would be in big trouble. And Andrew said that himself. The first person he brought onto eldership was Russell, who was so different from Andrew in character, personality, and gifting. So it's not about, I don't want to be Andrew. I want, I'm inspired by his faith and his passion for Jesus. I, w- I want to stir that up, but I want to stir it up in the gifting and the calling of what God's called me to be. And it starts with me, first of all, saying, I, I have an understanding that God wants to use me. Then the next question is, how? And that's where a lot of people get stuck, because they go, I don't know how. And here's a good, good thing, good principle I've lived by. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, when it comes to God using you, you can practice, try it out, see. Except martyrdom. Don't experiment with that one. <laughs> right, I see you're sick. Can I pray for you? I don't know if I've got a gift of healing. I don't know if I need a gift of healing. And you know what? The incredible thing is, and, and there was this theology a while back that if you don't have enough faith, God, God won't work. I've prayed for people and they've been healed and I've been more shocked than anybody. It's like there was no faith present. There was only obedience. And it does help to have faith. But you know what God's looking for? He's looking for a willing people. He's looking for an obedient people. And I think we get faith wrong even. Because faith is, I'm really petrified, but I'm just going to do it and see what happens. That's actually faith. 
And sometimes we get these moments, these, these deposits of faith where we get this supernatural assurance of things, and that's awesome. But sometimes it's just, you know what, I'll give it a try and see what happens. Are you willing to give it a try? Are you willing to ask? Because scripture says you have not because you ask not. Why wouldn't I ask? What a privilege it is for the power of God to flow through you, to be a blessing to others and to be a sign that my God is alive. Hey, I love apologetics. How many of you love apologetics? I love apologetics. I've not seen many people saved through debate. I have people, seen people saved through passion, through faith, and a demonstration of the power of God. And Paul said, I've come to you not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Are we going forth? Are we living our lives? Are we going to work? I started off by talking, why do we come to church? And that's just the first place, because this is the easiest, safest place to give it a try. Right? If you fall flat on your face here, you should still be loved. Right? But it shouldn't stay here. It's, can I take the power of God wherever I'm going? Into my workplace, into the streets. When you read the book of Acts, how many of those miracles happened in church and how many of them happened in the streets? Peter and John on the way, on the way to church. And the guy said, give me some money. Oh, another beggar. But what they said was incredible. They said, we don't have gold, but what we do have, we can give to you. You can only give what you have. You can only give what you have. Do you understand what you have to give? You know, some years ago, I remember we had a meeting here. It was going on a bit late. There was a response at the end, and, and deliverance was happening with a few people. And the kids started drifting down from kids' church, and a couple of kids came over to this one group to see what was going on. Somebody going through deliverance. And a couple of the adults said, No, go away, kids, go away, kids. I'm like, Don't shoo them away. Get the kids to come and pray. They've got more faith than you have. And besides, if you, if you with your child, and again, let's be appropriate. But if you with your child pray for somebody and see demons flee, are they going to wake up in the middle of the night afraid of the monster under the bed? I think not. They'll know what they have. Do you know what you have? If you, indeed you have it. And this is the privilege of being a child of God. And as much as we love the story of the prodigal son and how he took his inheritance and he squandered it and when he came back the father ran to him and embraced him. The older brother got miffed. Said why is he getting a feast? I've been working for you for all these years and I don't get a feast, he gets a feast. And the father says, don't you understand, I'm celebrating that he was dead and now he's alive. But if only you'd known, all you had to do was ask and everything I have is yours. 
And some of us have been like the youngest son and we've, we've squandered and we're coming back and, and the Lord is restoring. But for many others, we've been the older son, working diligently. Maybe wondering why we've not been rewarded or recognized. Or maybe we've just been slaving away faithfully and not realize all we have to do is ask and everything that he has is ours. I wish I'd stuck to some of my notes tonight. I would have had an idea where I'm going. Honestly, we've, we've got to allow the spirit to work in our hearts to stir faith up, to provoke us. Is anybody feeling a bit provoked tonight? I hope you're not feeling condemned. But I hope some of you are feeling convicted. How many of you are afraid? That's, that's, that's good. Because if you're not afraid, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's actually a scary thing following Jesus. That's exactly why we need his power. If we're going to do it properly, we need his power. This kind of lukewarm, watered-down, mediocre, acceptable, respectable Christianity is not Christianity. If we want to represent Jesus like the Acts Church did in Acts 2, 42 to 47, it's impossible. But it says that many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. They go, oh, well, that was the apostles. Yeah, but later we read that Stephen did many signs and wonders. Philip did many. They weren't apostles, man. Paul says everyone's been given spiritual gifts. I wish you would all speak in tongues, he says. I'd rather you prophesy. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. What kind of twisted father would ask you to eagerly desire something and go, ah, you're not having it. Why would the Lord ask us to eagerly desire something that he's not prepared to give us? But sometimes we have not because we've not pursued. We've not eagerly desired it. And how much do I know how much you desire something? I know how, how desirable something is to you by how you pursue it. Young men that fall in love. Old men that fall in love. <laughs> Are we a people passionate for Jesus? Are passionate for his ways? Are we passionate for his presence and his power? A problem that the elders should have every week in a congregation this size. It's turning away people and say, sorry, we've not got time for your testimonies. We can only show 15 tonight. It should be a problem. We should be having to set up WhatsApp groups and, and websites and, and Instagram accounts and Facebook pages just to tell the stories of what God is doing. And I'm not confining it to healing. I'm talking about powerful prophetic words. God spoke this to me and then this happened. I spoke in tongues and this happened. 
I was addicted and this happened. I've been praying for my family for 20 years. They've been enemies of God and this week they came to salvation. Those are the testimonies of the power of God. Who's willing? Who's willing? Who's willing to look stupid? Hey, you know the Bible says elders should set an example in all things. I set a really good example in that, looking stupid. God wants to begin to release you. He wants to begin to see you walking in your calling. God wants to see a people who represent the living God who spoke this universe into being. We've got to transition from faithfulness to faith. You know what that means? That means generally stepping out and doing something that's outside of your comfort zone. I've shared this before, but when I was at Bible college, one of our lecturers said something that stuck with me. He said, dare to try something so impossible that if God is not in it, it's doomed to failure. Are you willing to step out and try something so impossible that if God's not in it, it's doomed to failure? Are you willing for God to do a new thing? In some cases, are you willing for God to resurrect an old thing? I'm trying not to look at anybody in particular. because I Seriously, because... But I feel in the Lord, and I don't want it to come across like this is me. I'm, but there's people here. A man. It's not about performance. But you, there's people here and you were so passionate. You were so willing. And you could even now chalk it down to immaturity. Oh, I, was, I just didn't know better. But you didn't know better and things happened. And now you think you know better, but you don't. You've just grown stale and mediocre and respectable. And it's time for some of you to throw off those shackles of maturity and respectability and get back to being childlike and crazy and stupid and wild. You know, I don't want to be a when we, but the stories of early Josh Jen and people go, we, we were kind of the fastest growing church in, in our circles at the time. And so many people go, oh, it's easy for you because of it. And I'd laugh. I'd go, do you know what we've had to deal with? Do you know the people that God's using? Our, our unofficial lot, little thing was, could this be God? It had to be because it couldn't possibly be us. We had no clue what we were doing. But we were willing. We were naive enough to believe that if the Bible said it, it must be true. We were naive enough to believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still available today. We were naive enough to believe that God heals and God restores, that God reveals his heart through prophecy. Are you willing to be that naive with us? That childlike? What I love about kids when they're learning to walk, is they fall on the bums countless times. But it doesn't stop them learning to walk. And as we grow up and we grow wiser, we think if we failed at something a couple of times, we shouldn't do it anymore. Maybe the fact that you've failed at something three or four times just means you need to persevere. 
Are you willing to step out of the norm? Are you willing to step out of the possible? Are you willing to step out into the supernatural? Are you willing to see the power of God made manifest? That's what I want to ask. Because you've all said yes. I'm assuming you've all said yes. Now's the time to start. Some of you here are eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. The gift of tongues. The gift of prophecy. Prophecy. 